Hey folks, it's Jonathan. Welcome to the first official podcast episode of In Context Theology. We're excited to have you with us. And this episode actually was the launching point for when we decided, uh, Lindley and I, to, to do this whole new podcast. So at the beginning of the episode, you're going to hear us say, maybe we should start a podcast. And then we did it, because we're doers. Anyway, we're, we're happy to have you. If you haven't listened to the old uh, season one from John and Tony podcast, um, you can go back and that's in season one. Um, so we're, I, I appreciate you guys joining us as we take this thing uh, from the ground up. It's uh, it's going to be a wild ride. And by wild, I mean, I, I don't know what I mean. I, I mean, it's a podcast. How wild can it get? I don't know. Anyway, so we're going to talk about the subject of deconstruction today. And Lindley wrote me this intro that I'm going to read now. I'm going to butcher this pretty pretty poorly i was thinking about we are kind of like a new jerry lewis and dean martin if you will and i'm definitely dean martin just kidding i'm jerry lewis anyway i'm gonna try to work my way through this but what we want to talk about today is the idea of deconstruction of faith and deconstruction is a term that is deeply philosophical and it's been applied to like architecture art poetry and a host of other types of disciplines terminologically there's a Lindley word for you. It has been incorrectly applied to watching movies or anything else anyone wants to analyze. Um, but analysis is not deconstruction. Deconstruction is actually a particular form of analysis tied to a postmodern paradigm. And if you've read any of my books, you know this is not <laughs> how I write this stuff. I write at a fifth grade reading level. Let's keep it going. Um, nonetheless, rightly or wrongly, from a technical perspective, it has become something of popular or mildly meaningful process to take apart the faith as a whole and evaluate it, its constructive components in hopes of finding what is real and relevant for our time. So it's kind of a self-seeking process. There's not a lot of... Um, there's not like a book on deconstruction, I think, that says this is the standard approach to it in modern terms. And so it was actually started by a philosopher called Pro Protagoras, and he's credited with the following statement. Our knowledge of all things in the world come from human observation and reflection, and thus it is inherently the only meaningful point from which to begin. So Lindley's going to break that down as we get into the episode as well. So the result of deconstruction is what's called relativism. And um, it's a self-oriented lens on the world and focuses on human view rather than a divine perspective. So we're going to unpack that as well. Basically, we become our own moral judge. We are the arbiters of what's right and what's wrong. Can we really hold that up? I mean, I confuse the recycle bin with the trash all the time. Am I really the one that can hold all morality in the palm of my hand? I don't know. So we're going to look at truth and um, just the idea of deconstructionism. We're also going to obviously uh, talk about what it's what it means in modern context, but give you the, the, the past context as well. And then also discuss the idea of it. What what happens when we break down our faith? Is it doable? Is there something we can do, um, do this in a, in a proper way or is it dangerous? That kind of stuff. So Welcome to the episode on deconstruction here on the newly formed In Context Theology Podcast. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We got Lindley back on the podcast. We might end up doing our own podcast together for all the theology nerds out there what do you think about that yeah i think it's a great idea um, <laughs> we've, we've been having this discussion back and forth for a while now and you know i i do think that the time is relevant and i think today's topic actually is one which illustrates the need for conversations about these types of particular topics yeah 
And let's just be honest. I'm kind of starving for content here. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Lily's a fountain of, of ideas. Um, no, so actually what we're going to talk about today, and, and what, if you haven't listened to one of our episodes before, um, we really... It's not really like preaching and it's not really even like a history lesson. Some of them, you know, we go historical, but kind of just breaking down these concepts and ideas um, and really looking at multiple angles, angles that I, for one, have not ever really heard of or considered. And that's where Lindley comes in. Uh, but also just to, to talk about like stuff that we are figuring out ourselves, we wrestle with and we struggle with. And so it's not like, uh, listen, all you idiots, we've got it figured out. You've been doing it all wrong. Um, and so today's topic is one that you might have heard of, especially if you're in Christian circles called deconstruction. And it's a widely used word. You've probably have friends that have said they've deconstructed or they're thinking about deconstructing or they'll share somebody's blog post who has deconstructed. Um, and I want to say, as we get into this, um, this is this is kind of a relevant topic for me to talk about because I'm in a stage of my life, and I go through these like seasonally, where I just kind of try to figure out God again, not from ground up, not like let me rebuild everything I've ever been taught in Sunday school, and everybody was wrong, and I have to start from scratch, but more just like, a, what do I what do I mean when I say what I say I believe? You know, what's going on here? I, what is God doing? And so this is stuff I struggle with. These are things I wrestle with. Um, and so I want to set that stage before we dive into this, because you might hear some things that rub you the wrong way or you disagree with, or you didn't know. Um, but just to understand kind of, um, you know, where our heart is on this. And so we're going to talk about deconstruction. And, uh, before we do that, I want to look at some stats and these were released in, um, a, an article by, um, the Barna Group. Is that right, Nunley? That's correct, yes. Yeah. And so uh, they surveyed about a thousand different parents of preteens and, and um, children, and they came up with some of these stats. And so it's, they said 24% of self-identified Christians who were surveyed, uh, parents with younger kids, younger than 13, reject the belief that moral absolutes do not exist and believe that individuals determine truth for themselves. That's 24% of self-professing Christians believe that individuals determine truth for themselves. Um, 38% of self-identified Christian parents believe the basis of truth is God revealed through the Bible. That's only 38%. Now, these are two... 2,000 years old. These have been commonly held Christian terms, but this is a recent study. Um 51% of Christian parents believe that God is the all-knowing, all-powerful, perfect, and just creator of the universe who rules the universe today. Only 51% of self-professing Christians believe that God is that. So that means 49% do not believe it. And finally, um, of self-identified Christians with 24% see the Holy Spirit as merely a symbol and 33% thinking that Jesus committed sins. Um, so this is, this is kind of new. Um, maybe it's always been like that. Maybe we just haven't surveyed the right people, but we're dealing with about 2000 years of stuff that was mutually agreed upon as Christians. You know, you can read tons of history where Christians debate and, and wrestle through ideas, but the kind kind of the price of admission was believing some of those things that we just said. So I think this is why it's good to ask questions. It's good to have these studies, but Lindley, what's your take on that? Why do you think we're at a place where some of these long long term held beliefs are kind of almost controversial or highly disagreed upon at this point so 
so, so yeah, so let's let's take it um, a bit by bit. I do think that um, in our intellectual history, we've reached a particular point in time where where people are dissatisfied with uh, just taking something at face value. Uh, we now live in an era called the postmodern paradigm to some degree, and whether people uh, do it right or do it wrong, they have the sense that they are able to, what I believe, make an evaluation on their own of what they think is right and wrong. And in the past, a lot of this was left to the church, was left to um, the hierarchy, was left to some sort of authority to determine uh, what was right, what was wrong, what was absolute, what was you know relative, and so forth. Um, and now we live in a realm where every individual um, is um, taking it upon themselves to make those determinations. So it's not surprising that when you look at some of those data points that you referenced, you're seeing fairly large numbers of people jettison very basic ideas that have been around for 2,000 plus years. And it's funny that the reason that they're then thrown out is, you know, and we'll dig into this today, is to figure out why have people taken this out? Um, it's mm -hmm. or throwing it out. And I, I find it hard to believe, but when I really, you know, look at it, I see that it's really um, a self-determination. And that self-determination, I think, really comes from this postmodern paradigm where, um, to quote Protagoras, man is the measure of all things. In other words, man gets to determine. Man experiences these things, or woman in this particular case. People experience these things, and people therefore say, I've experienced this, and I'm going to make my own determination. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. we'll talk a little bit about this too. This this divergence between what I call the Enlightenment mentality versus what I call the or modernity is what typically what it's called versus postmodernity. And I think these are two things in conflict. Um, yeah. I will say one more thing to this. This is more of a problem in North American and Western culture than it is in anywhere else in the world. This is mm -hmm. not a common problem elsewhere. This is only a common problem um, in, in in Western society. That's interesting. I, I think about that concept sometimes, like the things that we struggle with, like and or you see like a you know Western folks doing that. Others don't. I think sometimes we have just the free time to sit around and think about this stuff and like uh -huh. run ourselves in, in rabbit trails. Um, well, I want to say that I, I do believe it's good to you know work out your salvation with fear and trembling, as the Bible says, and and that you can bring questions and doubts to God. And there's things about God that I do not have figured out, and I'm still trying to figure out. Um, but with this idea of deconstruction, we're going to break down what the word is in, in just a moment. Uh, to me, it's when you take on these these uh, endeavors and you say, I'm going to really work out my faith and I'm going to ask questions of myself and I'm going to figure out myself. It's like if you're going to start going to a gym and you, you're like, I got to lose 30 pounds and you just walk into a gym, you've never been there before, and you just start yanking on weights and pulling stuff, mm -hmm. which we probably all seen people on YouTube doing this stuff. Uh, <laughs> not only do you look stupid, it's dangerous and it could really hurt you. Uh, and I kind of think that same approach uh, happens when we start to take on this stuff by ourselves. Like you said, we become our own moral barometer, our moral compass. Uh, it, it, it is dangerous, and that's kind of what we're trying to address today. So, Lindley, the word deconstruction, as it is commonly used, and that's where I come in. I, I speak for the common man. Lindley's for the intellectuals. <laughs> I'm the voice of the people. Um, I think when I would say at least 90% of the people I know who use this term think of it like this. Uh, I had to go back through what I, what I grew up believing, what I was told that I um, we believe as a family or what I learned in church and figure out what do I actually believe about this stuff. So I was always told that, you know, God loves us and God doesn't love some people or whatever, you know, and then I go back through and I, I just think really hard about this stuff. And then once I 
settle on something that sounds right to me. I say, these are my new beliefs. Or maybe I abandon this Christian faith. I find that it doesn't work for me. I don't think Jesus is Lord. I don't think God is who he says he is, uh, who the Bible says he is. And this is my new set of beliefs. Or maybe I have no beliefs. That's how deconstruction is commonly used. Um, But that's not the actual term, is it? (laughs) (laughs) And far from it. Um, uh, It is a term that was, I I think, start... uh, aligning with some French philosophers in particular who were um, pushing this postmodern paradigm and they basically turned um, the enlightenment model on its head. Um, they switched things around, um, they analyzed texts, they looked at textual analysis to determine certain things, they talked about bias embedded in texts and so forth. And I'll actually read that uh, definition. Uh, like many Perfect. good scholars like me, uh, I went to Wikipedia, and uh, which I know <laughs> that's where you guys are going to go to challenge us. Uh, so here, here's right from Wikipedia, which you know is accurate. Uh, the term deconstruction refers to approaches to understanding rela- the relationship between text and meaning. Okay, so far maybe your old version of deconstruction might apply there. It was originated by the philosopher Jacques Derrida. I don't know if I said that right. Pretty sure most people that use this term deconstruction have not heard of that person. Uh, he defined it as a turn away from Platonism's ideas of true forms and the essences which take precedence over appearances, instead considering the constantly changing complex function of language, making static and idealist ideas of it inadequate. Does that sound like the way you've deconstructed? So deconstruction instead places emphasis on the mere appearance of language in both speech and writing. It suggests at least that essence, as it is called, is found to be in its appearance. While it itself is undecidable and everyday experiences cannot be empirically evaluated to find the actuality of language. Now, does that sound like my dad told me some messed up stuff about the Bible and I had to rethink it. It does not sound like that to me. No, no, no. And far from it. It's a technical term used in philosophy. And I think, I think what people are doing when they use the term deconstructing, uh, I think they're uh, extending the word. I, I'm not sure what they're doing, to be quite honest with you. I'm trying to grasp for straws here. I think what they want to do is they want to take apart what they've learned what they've assumed to be correct, mm-hmm. and they want to kind of uh, build it back up again into a meaningful framework for them to think about what they believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is not deconstruction. Um, uh, I, I, so, you know, words are, are, are fluid in the English language, and I think to some degree we can say, yes, um, the word has crossed, uh, has, has gone through some evolution right. in popular language. And, uh, and the best example I think of that, too, to illustrate is another good example is the word meme. Um, the way that we use memes on the Internet are not in any way, shape, or form uh, uh, directly attached to the concept of a meme, a phrase, and a term coined by Richard Dawkins in, in his book, The Selfish Gene, in 1976. Hmm. So, um, again, we, we, we tend to give ourselves... Uh, my problem with it is, terminologically, is it sounds a lot more high and mighty saying we're deconstructing something hmm. than saying, I'm not sure what I believe anymore. I'm just going to try and think through this. It sounds like... Um, uh, like- what I did on my resume when I was out of college. You've got to try to fancy it up a little bit. I was a, a valet at a hospital, and we listed it as hospital guest assistants. I was the first one to <laughs> greet the guests, and I say that's my introduction into healthcare. I was in the realm of it. But, um, yeah, it sounds like kind of the same thing. Of like, And, again, I think people don't, don't even realize this is happening. Right, right. So, so yeah, so that aside, terminologically doing it, and I just think that, you know, as Christians, if we want to be 
intellectually honest, yes. we should maybe stay away from using that term and um, and remain focused on what it is that we actually want, uh, which is to, the ability to just rethink our Christianity. Mm -hmm. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. Let me be as clear as I can. You know, you know, this has been done from the beginning of time. We're not the first ones in the 21st century to say, I wonder what I really believe. People have asked us questions about that. This is why we've had different theological ideas evolve and change and show up on the scene. Some have come, some have gone. And, you know, we've seen the evolution in our thought um, and we've seen the refinement in our thought. And I think refinement's a really good word because we didn't just throw everything out. Yes. There are yes. some things that were there from the beginning and having been through 2000 plus years of analysis, we still believe them. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, and so when I hear people saying, I'm going to work through this, my question to them is, and I think this is critical, what are you using to work through this with? Are you actually deconstructing? Are you taking a postmodern paradigm? Are you going to invert the forms of essences versus appearance? <laughs> right. Probably not. <laughs> right, right. Um, or are you actually saying, I don't know how to get started on this. Mm. How do I know that Jesus, right, was sinless? What are the criteria for making that judgment? Right. And I think that, again, some of the people who have heard walking through this haven't got a clue or a criteria for making that judgment. Well, it's, uh, you know, it, it, exactly. We're kind of trying to take this on ourselves and figure it out in the dark. And that's where I think the danger comes in is you could end up stumbling into something that you think you just cracked the code. I'm of the mentality and tell me what you think about this is like when it comes to the theology of Christ and, and God and like, we're not really, we're not, we shouldn't be splitting atoms anymore. Like there should be no major revelations when it comes to like, Oh, you Agreed. know what? The Jesus wasn't really born of a virgin. He was born of a prevert. You know, like it's like we can now we can better translate these ideas. We can come up with new um, understandings of God's grace and that kind of thing. But when it comes to the basic tenets of our faith, if you hear somebody saying like, actually, they were, everybody's wrong 2000 years ago. It's this. I kind of red flag should be going up all over the place. Do you agree with that? I, I, I totally agree. L let's take a look back throughout our history. Um, and I have this conversation with my Protestant friends as well as my Catholic friends. Um, you know, until you know, in the early until the Bible is codified in probably 400 A.D. approximately, um, or shortly thereafter, um, we have church councils. We have very bright, bright people. We have people that go all the way back um, who were. Um, followers of Jesus. They were eyewitnesses to the activities of right. Jesus. Right. We have folks who were the uh, first generation of people after those individuals. So we would say, call them uh, near witnesses to what transpired. They, they knew other people who were impacted by, Christ, by, by, the, by the work that Christ did. Um, so I think that there is, uh, you know, from a validation perspective, there's been plenty of analysis done already in terms of some of these key basic concepts. And like I said earlier, there have been various theological ideas about Jesus. And I'll, I'll use him as a perfect example about Jesus, who Jesus is. Was he fully God? Was he fully man? Was he both simultaneously? And how does that actually happen? These are well-run questions that have answers that are now, as you say, codified as far as the Christian church is concerned. I definitely didn't use the word codified, but thank you for that. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> we're, we're not going to have to revisit that because people a lot brighter than myself, 
people with a lot more experience, with a lot more knowledge, who have lived the whole life focused on this one single idea, have come to the conclusion, along with others, that this is the right, right idea. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what concerns me about part of our, quote, deconstructing some of these things, like, did Jesus sin or not? I'm like, I'm troubled by that answer because I'm not sure what would give someone the notion that they could say and claim that Jesus did sin, mm -hmm. right? What it does tell me is, is that they are afraid in, to some degree to align with an idea that is unlike any idea, other idea in human history. Yeah. And often, you know, even outside of religion, when you see people start to kind of twist ideas, it usually is to justify something that they're doing or something that they maybe feel inadequate about. Like, uh, you know, uh, the, the refs cheated in the game. That's why we lost. You know, that kind of thing. It's like, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I don't know. There's 90,000 people there that just, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, it's easier just be like, this can't be true because if it is true, how could X equal Y? You know, that kind of, that's like the mentality there. And and again, let me say, I get it because this stuff is hard. I have questions to God today, even just walking to get a sandwich. I had questions for God. I'm like, I don't understand why you do this and this and this. I understand where it comes from. Um, but I think that, again, the danger of just pulling weights by yourself is that you end up into some really dangerous world that not only won't set you free, it'll put more chains on you to begin with and it'll put more weight on you. And I think that's why Jesus was even saying like, come to me, my burden's light. You're not going to understand everything, but it's good. you can't do this yourself. Right. And it's not meant to. So I think one can deconstruct a movie. Like I've seen websites where they quote unquote deconstruct movies. And I'm again, again, troubled by the, the very loose usage of the term. Um, but basically breaking down a movie doesn't have eternal ramifications, yeah. right? Yeah. How you consider and what you consider about Jesus Christ, though, does have eternal ramifications. And I think that's problematic. Yeah. So what I find, though, difficult, though, and I have some conversations with individuals is they, and this is the crux of what I was talking about earlier, they want to use what I call an enlightenment mentality. They want to use the rules of logic. They want to use what we call science. Um, and in so doing, they want to come to a conclusion that has a postmodern paradigm. This is incoherent. You cannot mix the two. You cannot use Greek forms of logic, right, um, to come to a conclusion and then use and draw a conclusion based on your simple notion of what you think is right or wrong. Mm. That's, you cannot, that's mixing two paradigms. The two paradigms are what I call incommensurate. It's crossing streams, cannot, if you will. That's right. You cannot mix. <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. You cannot mix modernity and postmodernity. That does not work. Yeah. Right. So there are two different ways of looking at it. And this is why Derrida was throwing out the enlightenment or modernity and coming up with the postmodern notion of, of, of deconstruction. Gotcha. So the same thing applies here. If you want to look for evidence based truth, right, as you know, the way that something is you would call true. Even that in of itself tells you you're working with a, a paradigm in modernity. You're going to use the number of logic. You're going to say, hey, this is a truth. This is the truth statement. I can validate it with these examples, or I can validate it, or I can verify it. Um, but, you know, even then we get into the, contact, into the conversation about, you know, is that good enough? Yeah. Right? Is that good enough for you? Um, 
and I find too back to the point you raised is that in many people they have an alt they have an alternate idea of what they think is right for something that is well beyond what is immediately clear to you and I. I, I I think this is something that reminds me of the conversation I had with JB on the podcast when we talked about conspiracy theories. Uh, there is just like, I don't know, if, I think it's in everybody, but this this desire for things to resolve themselves or to, to have some kind of, oh, there's a reason for that and it settles within me and I can accept it. you know. And that's how you get into these crazy like interweb, you know, oh, there, nothing can just kind of happen because people suck. It's like, no, 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 this was a, the corporate elites were mixing with the, you know, <laughs> the, uh, yeah, ma- the Freemasons. Yeah, some and, strange purpose, yeah, yes. and once I know that, and once I figure that out, oh, okay, that's the reason, because the, these people are evil. Okay, and that, that that's how they end up on these these crazy things. And I, I think that happens with faith especially, and especially with God, who is a mystery. Uh, we want to break that down and be like, that does not sit right with me. This concept of whether maybe it be hell or just like things you've been told or, you know, the hard truth. Like for me, one of the hardest things is love your enemies. I'm like, that's a stupid thing. <laughs> and I was talking to my <laughs> wife today uh, about, or yesterday, this is one of the things I was struggling with. I'll just tell everybody uh, was the disciples on the boat when Jesus was asleep. I'm like, I sympathize with the disciples. They hadn't seen Jesus silence the water before, you know, like I was, I'm like, Jesus kind of comes up like, what's up guys? Where, where's your faith? I'm like, I get it. Like 2000 years later, I'm like, Oh, of course he can command this. But I often feel like I'm the disciple. Like we're going to die. I'm shoveling water. This guy, we just saw him do all this, these tricks with his bread. Where is he at? You know? And so I get that. I get that desire to want to make sense of this mysterious God. Um, is it possible to, to, or no, it, it is possible. So what, what's the right way to go about doing this? How do we possibly either, whether it's actually deconstructing or can we methodic, methodically do this? Is there a safe practice to do this? And, and what are the steps to do that when we, when we come up with these things that we really want to kind of deconstruct or um, right. find an answer to? Well, let me first, let me respond in one way first and say, why do we throw out beliefs in the first place, right? Sometimes we throw out beliefs because it's inconvenient for us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, and unfortunately, that's a lot of what we're seeing right now in terms of Christian belief is we're throwing it out because it's inconvenient. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. It's just that simple. Love your enemy. Uh, well, that, you know, the Greek text is probably doesn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, sometimes it is error. We should throw something out because it is erroneous. I, I agree, right? Yeah. And and we've had that over the history of the church where we threw out the, the Aryan beliefs and, and accepted the, you know, Athanasian belief uh, around about, the, you know, the son being equivalent with the father. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's a misunderstanding on our part. You know, sometimes we throw things out because we misunderstood something. We we are at fault for understanding what was going on. Uh, Sometimes we think something is fundamentally flawed. In other words, that flaw is so bad, it affects everything about the whole ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are uh, flawed systems um, that don't benefit people uh, in in any way. Um, Here's another one that I think is really popular, is what I call evolving mores. And in this one, what we have is people choosing to adapt and adopt to a modern or, or, or newer way of understanding about a social value, a moral value, an ethical value, and so forth, or framing them in a way that is not, um, uh, which is different than we framed it in the past. Mm. So, you know, it, we, we have the abortion thing going on right now. 
uh, on one side of the abortion, it's it's framed as, and I, and, I, and I don't want to get too deep into this, but I'll just you know just loosely just to show it for illustrative purposes. On one side, it's about uh, freedom of the woman to protect to do with what she wants with her body, right? From an abortion side. On the other hand, the other side of the house, they frame it as the sanctity of life issue for any life. So it, it's not about rights as an individual, about, but it's about rights for everyone. So I think there is a, a difference um, there because the starting points for that conversation are very different, very, very different. That's right. Um, That's, no, I think that you just hit on like what the basis of all these internet arguments are usually about. It's like we are arguing, we're crossing streams again. We are yeah. have two different things, and we're not debating over like a rock. Is this should we use this rock to build a house or to, for it to be a weapon? We both agree it's a rock. We're just disagreeing on what we should use it as. Where these arguments are not even you can't even agree on a, a starting point, as you said. That's right. That's right. The actual the actualizing premises for forming the argument are not agreed upon by both parties. Right. So therefore, it's not surprising that you come to two different conclusions. Right. Now, I'm not I'm not here to tell you which side I'm on or whatever the case may be, but I'm just show, it's for illustrations. It's about what is your premise? What is the highest value you hold? And that's a, it, it, for that conversation. And that's a good example of why this debate is still going on 50 years in. You know, it's because everybody's <laughs> that's the same arguments over and over and over again. That's correct. And 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 to be to be truthful, um, that will never be solved because the two sides don't start from the same starting that's point. That's right. That's right. Right. So so I think so. Now that we think about those things, right? Um, you know, this notion that we have no absolutes because we're in a postmodern world and, you know, we have to be very careful. Everything is relative to, to whatever. I think what this probably does, though, is lead us to the, the what I believe to be the, the unfortunate drawback of what we're calling postmodernism. Uh, sorry, what we're calling, you know, deconstruction here. And that is the fact that we are leading to what I call is relativism. Right. And so here, let me read this quote, I think, which is really important to us. And quote, it begins. Today, a particularly insidious obstacle to the task of education is the massive presence in our society and the culture of that called relativism, which recognizing nothing as definitive leaves as the ultimate criterion only the self with its desires. Mm. And under the semblance of freedom, it becomes a prison for each one, for it separates people from one another, locking each person into his or her own ego. Mm -hmm. There it is. That's a quote from, that's a great quote, and that was by Pope Benedict, I, I, and who was being installed as the Pope. Let me uh, update it for the, for the younger generation. That would be called Living My Truth. <laughs> that's right. So here the problem is with relativism, is, is this is what is, becomes problematic now. Because what this does is relativism leads to confusion. Mm -hmm. How could we right. ever build a church or organize around a particular concept if we don't share the same concept? Right. Yeah. If all right. we do is disagree about the different components, you know, what happens if we start a church? Let's say we start a group of people together. But every time I disagree with you on something, I decide to leave you and go away. It won't be long before society is a collection of individuals. And this is what the, the Pope was talking about. And now we're locked into our own individual way of seeing the world, mm -hmm. which is not 
in any way, shape, or form how I believe societies are formed. Yeah. Right? Now, right. I'm no anthropologist, but this is fundamentally problematic, right? Mm -hmm. So we're not pulling in the same direction, so to speak, right? We're rowing in different directions, right. and each one of us for our own selfish reasons. And I think that usually is the case. And um, I'm not sure when this episode will come out, but Jonathan Haidt just wrote a, a great article uh, in The Atlantic, and it talks about, he equated what happened with social media to the Tower of Babel. Like, we are more divided than ever. We've started speaking opposite languages, uh, and that's where society breaks down and we lose our power because the way societies form is collective groups of people say like, all right, let's all do this together. It's better for our, our kind if we build these walls and we fight together. You know, that's that's how societies are built. And as you said, this uh, individualism, uh, we're more separate, and which is crazy because we're more connected than ever. I'm talking to you five <laughs> states away and we are more isolated than ever as a result of it. It's kind of insane. Right. And the reason that we are isolated is because, not because of the technological capabilities, but because of our belief systems and postmodernity and relativism in particular as an extension of that, because that's a fallout of, of postmodern paradigm. This relativism allows us to basically go off in our own direction. Mm -hmm. So, of course, off in our own direction means means there's no continuity there's no unity of thought or belief there's no shared understanding of what we have as a group or a team or a church or a synagogue or whatever the case may be right and so this leads to what the pope also called in the, the in his in his reign the cafeteria mentality you're picking and choosing what you want for your own personal convenience right. and it seems to be self-serving right um and, and i think you mentioned it earlier um i do it because or I take on something because or I accept something because it's convenient for me it works for me mm -hmm. and people say that all the time this works for me yeah. and I'm I think to myself is it right or does it just work for you right <laughs> right well, those are two different things there's a comedian a lot of people don't like but I thought she was funny Amy Schumer was talking about when she was pregnant and she was like I want to drink wine you know and so I asked a friend like can you drink wine when you're pregnant she's like no of course not and she's like yeah yeah of course I would never do that so I went to the next friend do you, did you drink wine when you're pregnant? <laughs> I mean, like a glass here and there. Yeah, yeah, glass. Yeah, like and basically, she works down to like, who cares? And she's like, yeah, who? You know, like, and we essentially do the same thing. Like, we keep going to somebody who's going to agree with us, and then there, there, we have our confirmation bias uh, that we've been looking for. Yep, and that confirmation bias mentality is also part of postmodern paradigm because, again, it's self-serving, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. it, it is not based on logic. It's not based on certain set of criteria that we all can share and agree upon, right? So we all agree that two plus two equals four. Why? Because the fundamental theorem of algebra, uh, which was uh, completed by Carl Friedrich Gauss, tells us that that's the case, right? So we have that agreed understanding. Right? But when it comes to things about making decisions, about believing things that, that are a little bit beyond us sometimes, I don't know why we don't take the words of you know, bright, educated, wonderful people who know what they're talking about, um, who've been through this for thousand, a couple thousand yeah. years. We just think that, oh, somehow they've, we, we've come along, Johnny come lately, and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get it right this time. And if, I find it odd that you know, deconstruction is, is about faith alone, you know, and, and in Christian circles, like why stop there? If you've figured this all out for yourself, like why not deconstruct what you think marriage is? Why not deconstruct what you think honesty is? Why not deconstruct what you think, you know, embezzlement means, you know, like kind of, right. like, it just seems to be attributed to this thing. And I get it. Cause here's the deal is like the American church, especially has a lot of warts and it has earned those warts. Like we do things that are just annoying me to this day. And I've been in church my whole life. Uh, 
and it deserves to be it deserves to be exposed and i think you know when we see these pastors fall and especially like these instagram pastors or celebrities like i don't think that's like out of god's sight and he's like oh crap they're gonna find out the truth i personally think god has a hand in that um but i don't i don't agree with the I, let me let me say this i i understand people have a lot of hurt in the church i totally get that and i have my own church uh hurt from the church but i don't i just think sometimes the church is an easy target for a lot of other issues going on in someone's life and i don't again this is not a blanket statement across it but it just i, I say all this to say like i don't understand how someone could say i've just cracked the code on this bible thing it's like the most confusing thing ever but i'm gonna stop there and not look at anything else in my life in the way i'm living any other way right Look, I think that, you know, what has become painfully obvious is that any institution, um, even unfortunately one instituted by by the divine himself, um, has flaws. Uh, there are a lot of, there are people who do the wrong things for the wrong reasons. Um, there are people who've done the wrong things, uh, sorry, I've done the right things for the wrong reasons. There are people who've tried other things and uh, for, you know, and it's been wrong and they didn't know, but they tried mm-hmm. and it didn't work out and so forth. Um, but, but, but what I find people doing when I hear them talking about deconstructing is they are throwing out um, ideas. They're throwing out theological doctrines that have been around for 2,000 years under some sort of whim because, you know, and I'm not sure why. Look, if the church did you wrong, if some pastor did you wrong, if some you know brother or sister did you wrong in the church, if some you know person did you incorrect, what does that have to do with whether Jesus Christ sinned or not? Mm. Right. And and I think the problem is is that I think we're con- people are confusing two different things: an institution, mm. a body. You know, they may make mistakes. Companies make mistakes. You know, institutions make mistakes. Leaders and politicians make mistakes. They're subject to that. Um, but, but the truth is, is that to throw out doctrinal ideas, which is what deconstruction is all about in particular, is, is picking what you think is right and what is wrong, I think is, 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 I think is disingenuous to lay that at the feet of, you know, brother so-and-so didn't say hi to me on, Saturday, on Sunday morning, mm-hmm. and therefore the church did me wrong. And I think there's a lot of, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, that's something that needs to be dealt with, no doubt. But that's a different kind of thing altogether. Yeah. I do think there are, you know, there's like petty stuff that people are just kind of mm-hmm. ego driven. But I also think there's like, there's deep hurt um, from some like pretty sick stuff that have happened inside the walls of an institution uh, uh, that God established, as you said. And I think that is, that's where this gets really hard is that people have, it's more than just like, I got an ego and nobody celebrated me and threw me a parade, you know. Uh, there's this deep hurt. Um, and I was, uh, so what, what do we do with that? like with these questions we have for God because of this, this thing that is, is his design, this church. Um, you know, I sometimes wish God had written, you know, there's many more books, you know, but then I'm also like, well, the Bible's pretty long. We don't have that figured out. We can't even love our neighbor. I'm not sure I need like five volumes of this to figure this thing out. Um, what do we do though when there is something that that's rubbed us the wrong way, that's hurt us? What do we do with that pain? What's the right way to, rebuild this kind of thing well i think that you know let's go back to something that we've talked about in different shows is that the notion of trust amongst believers and amongst people um, is something that has to be established it has to be earned we've talked about this in the past i think you know 
uh, that you know institutions have done wrong, have made mistakes, um, and they need to come forward. I mean, and I, I think the Catholic Church is a good example of stepping forward and saying we did wrong. There were mistakes. We shouldn't have handled it this manner and so forth. Um, I'm not giving them a free pass for what they did by any stretch of the imagination, but what I'm saying is, though, is that they've come to now acknowledge these things, and until you acknowledge them, you can't get beyond them. That's right. Um, that's right. Right? So, so that's a start in the right direction. Um, but it, it, we have to accept the fact that um, we ourselves are sometimes guilty of giving people too much power. Yes. Right. Yeah, and so true. when you talk about celebrity pastors and the fourth, the fact that you even can use the word celebrity and pastor in the same sentence is somewhat already problematic in my mind. Um, the fact that we want to think of people in that manner is already a problem. So I so I think it's twofold. The institutions have to come come to grips with what has happened um, and, and, and make a make an up try to be better, as well as we as individuals need to stop pretending that um, that these people are uh impervious to, f to falter so this seems to be coming full circle because it could be the result the the fact that we got hurt and so many people struggle with this and, and i can only speak as an american christian uh with this christian institution in america it the, probably the results the effects we've had are the results of people not maybe using the term deconstructing but forming their own gospel forming their own way of doing the church to begin with they've disconnected they've deconstructed from god's design to begin with and so this is where that hurt comes from these people are pulling weights themselves and people other people are in the wake and we've entered into these institutions um not knowing this that they were built on that or we get caught up in the hype you know like the, the hillsong folks are falling like you know like some of the stuff happens you're like didn't anybody see this kind of coming like you know wasn't it kind of obvious uh but you kind of <laughs> get caught up in the experience and it's good but it's 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 an abuse of the institution that God set up and thus the hurt comes later. So that kind of, that's what we're talking about is the danger of this stuff. It's not, Hey, don't, don't question the American church. We're right about everything. It's no, look at the pain you're going through is the result of someone who is abusing something God ordained. Right. So, and, and, and th those are all good points. And, and I think that you know, how I would echo that is, is really with the fact of, look, you know, um, we, we are somewhat responsible in our hyper-individualism. Yeah. We've uh, allowed um, everybody to go off and do their own thing. We kind of started the ball rolling in that direction in the first place. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, per, I might personally prefer a more centralized approach because it ensures a certain amount of continuity and a certain amount of what I would believe um, uh, uh, channels in which one can make sure or check and see if something is is being done correctly or not. Uh, there's a, a authority structure there to you know to either validate or invalidate certain things. Um, but I do think that there are, you know that you know when we have these one-off churches all over the place, they're susceptible to you know all kinds of mistakes in my yeah. opinion. Um, the other part, though, is, I, I, and I think this is also true, um, you, we just have to, you know, you just have to count on God. If you really believe in God, uh, you know, it's going to be okay, actually, yeah. in the long run. Um, and, and to be honest, I mean, uh, how many people actually are, uh, you know, percentage-wise, um, hurt by the church is it 10 15 20 25 30 whatever the number is it's too many mm -hmm. but you know a, a, a good chunk of the church is fully functioning and functioning well yeah. especially globally let's be honest yeah that's that's very true i i think of you know if you're looking for signs of like something to look out for in a church it, or, or good signs is a leader that can say i found out i was wrong about this or somebody corrected me about this somebody that's open with like their 
their own stuff that they're going through. Um, I, I, you know, I finished a very popular podcast about, let's just say, is the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And, uh, everyone knows who I'm talking about. I might as well just say it, but it was like, there's a lot of buildup of like the pastor was not, he kind of had his own thing. He wasn't, if he was challenged, people were kind of ostracized for that kind of stuff. That's, that's toxic. But, um, humility and the, the ability to say that, um, you know, I was wrong about stuff. Those are things, those are the healing people I've, I've seen in the church because to your point, you know, we want to throw out everything with it, but like, I, I, you know, there's issues I have from growing up in the church, but like, man, there are people who love me, like that pray for me to this day, like that just out yeah, of the goodness of their heart cared. And so I think to say like, it's all crap, it's all abuse and all, it's just, you haven't done your homework. Um, right. And as I, I wrestled through stuff with, with God, you know, I was, we have this uh, stroller that is, uh, it's a Bob stroller. And if you're a new parent or kind of be a parent, you got to get a Bob stroller because they're just amazing. You could take We've taken our kids to Boston and New York and all this stuff. And, and the town we live in now is kind of old uh, brick, brick, uh, sidewalks and stuff. And the, this, their air tires on the, on the stroller, like they're filled with air and I'm walking to get coffee today and thinking about like, you know, wow, I've tripped on this road a few times and I've stumbled. But like when I pushed the, my kids in this stroller, like that those air tires really absorb a lot of that rocky road. And I've pushed them with tires that are not filled with just really static and you're clanking around, you're clanking around and you're just really unstable. And I've come to kind of view God in the same way of like, I don't think the roads are going to rise up and become easier for me uh, if I stay close to God. But I do think he helps me to absorb a lot of that uneasiness, those questions. I, I can't tell, I can't give a reason for X, Y, Z of why, this happened in my life, but I do know, as you said, that God is close to the brokenhearted, that he saves those who are crushing. Like those are the things I can, I can land on. Um, and that's kind of helped change my view of like, well, God, you owe me this. Like, no, no, no. I don't know if he actually said that. Um, but he helps me to, you know, be on these uneven paths and, and absorb that and, and stay close to me. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, that's, that's where the rubber hits the road, so to speak. Uh, so hey, I really do like that. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that example. Yes. So where do we land this? Well, look, I think that we've covered a lot of territory tonight. One is the, you know, the use of the term, but I think, you know, when we look at the activity that's evolved, that's revolving around what people want to do in deconstructing, I think it's safe for people to do it to some degree, to ask questions about what they believe. That has not, that has been part of the Christian domain from the beginning. Yeah. There have been lots of people that have come with you know, like, why can we do this? Why can we not do that? And, you know, then we have the great thinkers like Augustine, Saint uh, Aquinas, Luther, uh, Schleiermacher, uh, you know, uh, the Apostle Paul, um, you know, you know, in the last century, Karl Barth. Uh, we have lots of great thinkers, uh, Christian thinkers who've walked and worked through some of this stuff, right? We've had the early church councils. We have the Bible itself as a record of certain activities and so forth. So we've got lots of you know, the Christian church is, this is not the first time it's been through this. Right. Um, but I do think we need to ask ourselves uh, and be intellectually honest about, are we doing this because it suits our purposes and because it's convenient? Um, or is it because we think that there's really an error in what's going on doctrinally within the church? Mm-hmm. And then we need to separate out what I call the sort of like the, 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 the moral activities and the day-to-day activities, the, the living life of the church, where some things are good, some things are bad, some things are not the way that I would like them, but nonetheless 
right? I, I, I don't jettison the whole thing just because I didn't like some one thing, right? right? And, and, and we have to figure out, okay, can it be solved? Can it be fixed? Is it, is, it, is it actually wrong or is it faulty thinking or is it just a matter of, hey, you know, like I have to come to accept that because maybe someone knows more than I do, you know? And, right. that is, and that's something that sometimes in, in our society we don't like to do because we don't like to do it because it means giving... Uh, authority to someone beyond ourselves right right and by the way isn't that what we're asked to do when we come <laughs> into the christian walk yeah which is to submit ourselves to christ yeah. um so that in itself tells me something about the individual's mentality sometimes yeah i agree i agree and i think i would end it like this like some of these things that you wrestle through obviously do with other people as we talked about uh it might not settle you might be like yeah this doesn't really click with me uh, and I think that's okay because, again, God is big enough to, to handle our doubts. He's big enough to handle uh, things that are that are just itch, itching or nagging us. A thorn. Paul himself said he had a thorn in his side and never says that it was resolved. But he said God's grace is sufficient for him. So I would encourage anybody that's maybe considering deconstructing or working through things, just remember um, sometimes those thorns stick with us. There's another zinger. See? You're not the only one that can zing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Lindley. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. It was awesome tonight. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode. If you have any feedback you want to submit over email, or you can even call in and leave us a voicemail, uh, it might come up on a a future episode as we try to uh, tackle some of the questions and comments. Uh, You should be able to find that information in the details of this podcast episode. I also want to thank Patrick Patrikios for his song Broken, which we've used in this episode. You should check it out online.